Hello, welcome. This is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. We are still discussing the African drylands on a six-part series by the Global Landscape Forum Africa Digital Conference. The conference hosted two weeks ago was led by the Center for the International Forestry Research, CIFO, and the World Agroforestry Center, ICRAF, in collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP, the World Bank, and the charter members. 70% of the GLF Africa participants were aged between 18 to 35, making up 3,000 of the 7,000 registered participants. Now, Cities Alliance, a global partnership fighting urban poverty and promoting the role of cities, notes that almost 60% of Africa's more than 1 billion people are under the age of 25, making Africa the world's youngest continent. Now, the youth are a massive resource. They are technologically astute with a capacity to deal with technology compared to other age groups. They are more invested in sustainable means of restoration and adaptation as climate change impacts their current and future livelihoods. But are they fully engaged in this restoration and climate discourses? Do they have access to means of implementation? Do they have access to mentorship, among many other things? So to answer these questions, I invited Diana Chalo, a land rights activist, founder and writer at Land Pages, and Amina Aiden, a research scientist at the Kenya Forestry Research Institute, Kefri. Thank you so much, ladies, for coming on board. Please introduce yourself. Okay, thank you very much, Sophie. So I am Diana Chalo. Uh, I professionally, I hold a bachelor's in land administration. I graduated in 2019, uh, December. And just like you, uh, before that, uh, I had started creating content, but just for myself to hold on to. And uh, during COVID, that was around Feb, before our first case, I decided to to go full full out on it and, and start a blog. Uh, before that, uh, it was nothing that serious, but staying at home and having COVID making things a little bit difficult in terms of employment and stuff, I decided why not create content which is educative in a speciality or in an area where there are not many young people in it. So that was the birth of land pages. Fantastic, Diana. Amina, who is Amina? Oh, thank you. Um... My name is uh, Amina Aden. I'm a forestry researcher working with the Kenya Forestry Research Institute. My background is uh, agroforestry and rural development. I did agroforestry and rural development for my uh, undergrad in the uh, University of Kabianga. And uh, I did my master's in the UK in uh, Bangor University, where I specialized in the science of agroforestry. Okay. And um, yeah. I'm currently the only female forestry researcher in the whole of Northeastern Kenya. Mm. And uh, I'm really trying, I'm also uh, trying to see how can I bring up local-led uh, youth innovations in uh, taking advantage of this uh, recently rolled out uh, UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration, because I believe it has a big dream for the youth and women. And also, I'm, I'm very much interested in mentoring young women in the young high school girls in, uh, in increasing their participation and passion development in the field of uh, 
in STEM fields, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Absolutely brilliant work that you're actually doing on the ground. And I do appreciate you taking time to join me in this conversation. And, and so I, I want us to go a little bit deeper into why you do what you do. And I'm just wondering in terms of land, Diana, land is one of the issues that you find in Africa, in mainly African countries. You find it's, we have a patriarchy where land is basically owned by men. And so women do not have, in most cases, um, the right to make the decision on that particular land. So as much as they they may cultivate on this particular land, but then they do not own it and they do not make major decisions. What is this that drove you into land issues? First of all, I think uh, basically on my schoolwork, I delved and, and understood different forms of injustices and gaps and things didn't sit well with me. For instance, the way you say the patriarchal system. And then I realized it has been that way for so long that it's now normal. It has been that way for so long that our fathers are, we have to seek advice, we have to seek permission to do things. And it was some sort of normal that we do things this way. Then another thing I realized, they're very young few young people in, with interest in land and land governance. It's somewhat uh, not cool, or I don't want to say not cool per se, or it's hard and ambiguous in some sense that many young people don't want to deal with it, and they'd mm-hmm. rather not take that up that challenge. So I took up the interest. Uh, it hasn't been that easy, because I also have my own challenges where sometimes I feel like, is it even worth it? Uh, the content for it to pick up, uh, for you to be taken seriously as a youth, it can take uh, a while, but uh, you keep going because sometimes you block something and then someone will be like, what do you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. such kind of things. And, uh, but you keep on uh, giving yourself assurance and saying, no, there is a problem here. And in my own capacity, which is writing and creating awareness, you push one blog to blog and then hopefully it will pick up with time. But what do you hope to achieve uh, over a long term in terms of this um, sensitizing people in terms of land? So now it's uh, one year. I turned one year in February, so it's one year and a couple of months. Mm-hmm. My intention is uh, I, I don't want to be the face of land pages. I want it to go to, to, to see itself. Mm-hmm. And I want to bring in more young people because I think right now social social movements or social activities is the way we are able to put our voices out there. If it, young many young people pick up, then many young people have their voices out there. So I want it to just grow and roll itself at, to reach a point that I am no longer land pages, but land pages it's a thing on its own and it's doing things and stretches outside of Kenya and moves to other countries within the African continent. Mm-hmm. And a young person listening to you may wonder, okay, right now I'm just concentrating myself on, you know, getting myself a degree, getting myself um, a master's degree and stuff, or probably just going to work and everything and learn something since that it is so long term. So I don't necessarily have to be investing in land or even thinking about land issues. Why is it important for the youth to, to actually think about land issues? You see, beyond just owning and using land economically also mm-hmm. have rights to things like open spaces where we can hook up we can meet with our friends discuss things 
like social things. Uh, I'm I'm sure we have we used to have like baraza areas, you know, places where young people can meet, brainstorm, innovative hubs. So we need those spaces. Let's not look at land like where I want to build my house, where I want mm-hmm. to grow things and stuff like that. We we have other rights which constitutionally are there for us. We have open spaces which, if we don't, we are not keen about them, then they will be grabbed. They'll be used in other uses, and people will speak for us. We won't be able to speak for ourselves and why we own these spaces. We we own them. They we have a right to them and then let's utilize them. How do we utilize them? By letting people know, yeah, we are around and we are aware that we, are, yeah, we should be able to use these spaces. Mm, and I'm actually thinking in terms of like looking at cities as they grow and almost every space get occupied um, by paved up yeah. areas and areas whereby, so you, for what you're advocating is basically making sure that as cities grow, there is land that is actually allocated for green spaces and also thinking of like, yes. as temperatures rise within the continent as, as African cities develop and population rise and we build up tall uh, high rise building, these green spaces also act up as balancing in terms of taking up the carbon dioxide that we are emitting in our industries and also we threw our cars and stuff, right? Yes, yes, yes. Because I remember back in the day when we were in campus, it was hard to actually find a cool place, a safe place. You see, you, you can also have a space, but it has not been taken care of. It's not safe mm, for you to meet up or anything. Yes, so yes. either you go to a coffee shop, which is not ideal. Sometimes you've been in classroom for hours and hours and hours. You just want to go outside. So it's good to take care of our spaces, make them safe and protect them. And I think it's one thing um, as a woman, sometimes is we have um, different fears when it comes to men and women, because then again, there's a space that for a man would be extremely safe. But for me as a woman, it might actually be there, have a nice space that I can sit there, but then it's absolutely not safe for women. Yes. Wow. Now, um, Amina, tell us a little bit about the, the, the dryland challenges within the northern part of Kenya. Thank you. Uh, first of all, the inhabitants of these uh, drylands are majorly Somali communities. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have the, what do you call, they practice nomadic pastoralism. But that is changing right now because of climate change and other factors. But just to give you uh, what you call a rough idea of what uh, the situation is, Nomadic pastoralism is the way of life here. And the, the challenges are severe and recurrent drought, which is the biggest, first of all. And the, it is the longest uh, season. The dry season is actually the longest season. And then we have insecurity, which actually during the COVID, it has really exposed how this insecurity issue has uh, affected the livelihood of these pastoralists. They normally moved from so Kenya, through Mandera, you know, they were moving to Somalia, Ethiopia, part of Djibouti, and then coming back during the the rainy season. And considering they have, you know, they have large numbers of uh, animals, the land carrying capacity was also an issue. So a lot of pastoralists, they have this large herds of uh, animals, and that tends to have this land carrying capacity uh, issues which at the same time brings conflict because they have limited resources, both in terms of pasture and water, and everybody wants to access that. Then conflict arises, which Mm -hmm. is actually Mm -hmm. the largest uh, problem we have here. And then 
there is the issue of having uh, alternative uh, livelihood options. There is lack of that. But nowadays, I'm really happy because they have adopted some sort of a sedentary lifestyle, whereby that they're, they're only moving during the dry season, but not staying longer. So they leave the, the wife and they themselves are also starting to sell, you know, destocking mechanism where they sell some of the animals and starting other business. Uh, they're venturing into other businesses, like starting up a shop or even leasing a small piece of land where they can plant something like small, you know, vegetable crops and some small trees where they can get fruits just around the house. And uh, that is actually the impact of COVID. And I'm really glad they're now uh, giving an ear to that. Good to hear. Actually, it's good to hear that our attitudes are actually changing among pastoralists and also they are starting to distalk because one of the major things that used to happen is that you find that these communities would wait until um, the, the animals have started dying and that's when they would actually start distalking. But it's really good to start to hear. But what I keep wondering is one thing of like uh, pastoralism in the age of climate change. How do we do this sustainably? Climate change is is changing a lot of things. Even the type of animal to keep in, to keep in this uh, region is changing. Initially, they were keeping, you know, livestock like uh, cattle, uh, what do you call camels, and then goats and sheep. That's what they used to keep. But now, most of them are even selling, you know, the shots and the cattle in order to get the camel. And you know, the camel. Not every, not everybody can buy the camel. It's only some power group or some wealth group that can buy. It buy because one camel goes for around uh, one thousand dollars to one thousand two hundred to five hundred dollars that's 120 150 thousand kenya shillings yeah. like amateur yeah. so you can imagine not everybody can buy that so we're even seeing a lot of changes in the pattern in, especially in the central central part of the northeastern kenya that is where now it is being adapted and people are starting to to see how do we how do we do away with the goats? Because the diseases are coming up. We have actually adopted some sort of a multi-sectoral approach where the forestry department is working with the livestock department of livestock production and the rangeland management unit and the environment department as well. So we see how is the environment and then where are the diseases. Everybody is like tackling the, that problem from their own angle. Mm-hmm. And then for us, we look at is the forage available for them? Which forage do we need to, to which forage species and fodder species do we need to use for restoration in this period so that the animals can be able to stay here and uh, be sustainably fed and the conflict issue reduces? So that's the approach we've been taking up. But I would really, really go for a multi-sectoral approach because once when they say... Uh, one man can't kill an army, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I want to look into the youth, basically, and uh, how you think the, the the youth are actually engaged when it comes to restoration of these drylands and how you think also youth are engaged when it comes to different initiatives, especially when it comes to environmental protection and also issues of climate change. Uh, and I just want to understand from your perspective, how do you think the youth are basically engaged? Uh, first of all, leaders, Youth are the leaders of tomorrow, and the old ways of doing things need a fresh input. That's why they say new broom sweep cleaner. First of all, there are successful youth programs that are ongoing. They really need marketing and, you know, advertisement and even being discussed in 
forums, you know, whereby they're talking about youth and their input and those things, that is actually lacking. That's one direction I have seen. It's not given much, much importance. And also, youth are not made to participate in critical decision-making processes. It's only the old people. So if you incorporate youth and women, I would believe they would, that, was, that will provide some sort of a mentorship ground as well as also they would give their input. I'm speaking from an African perspective because this is what I have encountered myself. Yeah. And then there is, yeah. there is this you know, recurrent attitude that people think the youth are not interested and they're very young. So we don't need to be including them in these uh, uh, processes, these critical decision-making processes. And also we have this, in, the youth have given up because not much attention is given to them. So now we have this increasing uh, youth uh, urban migration. Mm -hmm. to improve their lifestyle some sort of way. And mm -hmm. then there is this issue of favoritism. If my uncle, my dad, my mom, or my aunt is in, you know, in leadership or is even some sort of, uh, has some sort of power, it's only one group that will dominate everything, even though they're not doing the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is what we have actually encountered personally. I have seen that they don't have the skill and they won't ask because they come from a specific power group that you can't uh, do anything much. If only we could have, you know, like if you have a successful youth-led innovation that has been practiced and people can see on the ground and, you know, the leaders would actually acknowledge that and even give them some sort of a reward. Even that recognition, I'm sure many youth would come up with innovations and they would really want to do it on the land, whether their parents own them or whether they, a program can provide for them. Mm. And then we have youth have access to social media. But yeah. most of them don't know how to use it in a good way. They're only doing, I don't know, TikTok and stuff. Some of mm -hmm. these TikTok uh, videos you can see have good messages, but mm -hmm. it's not most of the, not all of them are doing the right thing. That is what yeah. they what they are. And also, being denied all these opportunities, they they're seeing a free entrance to radical uh, radical groups, which earns them some sort of a, an income. So I think what can make the youth be champions in, in terms of making their work sustainable is we increase exchange programs. Take them to youth-led innovation, successful innovations. Let them learn directly from the horse's mouth thereafter because this person has done this and what can we do now we help them in the process. They have taken up that innovation. Yes, okay, I have also one in mind, but how do I make sure I which process should I follow from the planning, you know, budgeting and all that is something they need. And then thereafter, the person who is also interested in that you think can join them in the journey, try planning and programming with them so that it reaches a point where it's finished. And also, it would be really good to promote youth, youth, youth sessions. Mm -hmm. Because youth, not only youth, actually, youth and women sessions. Because I was doing my master's fieldwork in, uh, in Ghana where I was part of a C4 ICRAF uh, uh, collaboration on, in a project called the West Africa Forest Farm Interface. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you the project had women participating in it, restoration project, and I'm sure, I'm sure 100, like not 100% per se, but they, were, they achieved their objective and restoration projects were successful when it was women oriented. Mm. And also we need to do healthy competitions like we will bring a restoration program here and everybody has an idea. What do you, what do you need? You need some sort of an, you know, a, 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 what do you call a program, a competition program laid out. 
whereby youth are told to bring local solutions for the local problems they face. A, a certain program was done here in, in, in Kenya and in Garissa specifically, where it was called Marifa Kona, where youth were told to bring, you know, whatever solutions they had or in, through innovations. And they did, and I'm actually happy because the first one was one I mentored and he's now self, you know, reliable. And he's yeah. even doing it himself and he's, it's a business he has started and it's working well for him right now. Amina, you're saying mentorship and being included in this project is very critical for the young people, right? Yes, and exchange programs, and very exchange much. Program. All right, fantastic. Diana, I just want to come to you. Yes, uh, so um, I always find that this climate conversation uh, to achieve the results, we have to have collective action. And for someone like me, I, I live in Nairobi. I may not have access to much land to restore or whatever, but I still have a, a responsibility towards the climate action. And there are many others like me, but I've realized one thing, uh, as much as we will mentor young people and we want to learn from the people we, who have been there, we also have to teach them new things. Uh, I am in Nairobi, I may not have an opportunity to plant trees and have conservation on rivers and stuff like that, but I'll have mm -hmm. a, a new thing, a new thing which works for us. For instance, in Nairobi, you realize there are many mushrooming flea markets. When you attend uh, those things, you realize young people are coming up with innovative stuff. I'm sure uh, in 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 a, a good population of Nairobi young people, you'll find people carrying portable, reusable stores. The other day I was telling my mom, you know, <laughs> mom, you don't have to use like this, like the the disposable straw, but she was not getting the message. That is mm. now what as we are teaching the other people, we have our own ways of conserving and an input toward this climate action. It may mm -hmm. not be the normal way, the mainstream way, but it's new to us and it's working. And I think it's also good to appreciate that effort uh, mm -hmm. as we go on and we learn from each other. We need to have a way to learn from the indigenous knowledge and the way to bring up new knowledge as we move forward. Absolutely. We have to also adapt new ways of doing things. Youth are adopting technology and these are people who are very technology savvy. And when you look into the continent and I, one thing I appreciate and looking at the COVID situation was the fact that we saw a lot of technologies, youth from campuses in, 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 in Nairobi coming up with a lot of technology. And it's that point you're talking about saying the youth have adopted technology and they can also teach the older generation uh, this technology and using these technologies in terms of and marrying those two the old way of doing yes. things the new way of doing things and dealing with the uh, the, the, the common uh problems that we are facing pollution uh climate crisis you know absolutely right? absolutely yeah mm -hmm. Mm. But there's one thing that uh, that is a catalyst in terms of the means of implementation and, and money is very, very key and very important. For example, um, it's a technology you want to come come up with uh, an incubation. Uh, it's some tree planting, I mean, uh, you want to do with communities in the northern part of Kenya. You know, it's also the change of behavior. You want to gather these people bring them in from different remote corners of, of, of their, the, the, the vast northern eastern, uh, northeastern counties. I'm wondering, as the young people, how easy is it for you guys to access financing for the projects that you're actually doing on the ground? What I do is I have projects, active research projects. And for my research projects, I what I tell the communities is 
give me uh, the farms that you're using. Let me showcase what I want. But the innovation becomes yours, you know. Mm-hmm. It will be mm-hmm. yours. At the end of the day, I'll only demonstrate this. You, I'll use this land of yours to do the demonstration. But you are the one who would actually own whatever comes, you know, from this research project of mine. And that is what has provided me a leeway into the, you know, even the communities can listen and, you know, can give me that idea. Mm-hmm. And different, what I have done is right now we have this uh, the UN decade on ecosystem restora- restoration. Mm-hmm. In order to benefit from that as well, I've developed a, a small booklet, which is will be used by the extension workers. And it mm-hmm. has key, you know, priority species for restoring the assets of uh, Northeastern Kenya. Mm-hmm. What we, how are we mm-hmm. doing that? What we're doing is we identify the priority trees. Well, is it timber? Is it timber that you want? Is it fruit tree that you want? Is it uh, energy producing trees that you want? Food that you want? Fodder for your animals and all that. All the groups have been categorized. If you are somebody who resides in a certain sub-county, it has everything from the pictures to the lands, to which landscape it does best in, the soils, the uses, the challenges, the current conservation status, the cover, the regeneration, it has all that information. So now if anybody wants to invest in the restoration, be it an NGO or be it a, a youth person who wants to invest their capital in this, they have this book as a guide and we help them. We have foresters on the ground. We have Kenya forests here. We have the university. And what I'm trying to see, how am I also trying to get the youth is one thing I'm trying to see. How I'm working with the university. Whatever technology or innovations we do here, I do it with the university, with the local university, Garissa University. Mm-hmm. You know, we are leaving that information for, for those uh, students there so that they can, you know, we, we can start harnessing, you know, such uh, interests. And all these uh, development agencies that are working here, whenever they come to do some greening or environmental programs and they want to invest, we identify with them which group and which, because each group has its own, you know, technology they want to showcase or they want to do. So we tell them which ones are sustainable, which ones are, you know, intergenerational, which one has groups, you know, even the groups we advise them to have, you know, the gender quorum should be met, the the gender fraction should be met, the women, the men, they should all have, you know, all those components. And then what technology do you want to showcase? Where are you showcasing? Like if it's restoration, does it have fencing? Does it have water? Are you using the right species? Where do you want to do? Do you have monitoring and evaluation as a key component as well? How are we ensuring sustainability? You know, those are all criteria we set so that this becomes successful and not just an investment where you're looking for, for you know, mechanisms of getting money. Mm-hmm. And one of the things in terms of when you're doing this implementation, do you find access to land for the youth, uh, basically for uh, to be able to work with more youth? Um, how is access of land among the Somali communities in the northern part of Kenya? First of all, Somalis, just like any other African communities, have that attitude of, you know, land belongs to the, to the men, you know, the men mm-hmm. thing, that power, the power dynamic is still in play. But people are loosening up because women are also not, you know, not uh, staying uh, just dormant like that. They're actually also being innovative. What they're doing is they're formed these merry-go-rounds mm-hmm. whereby they're, they're saving money for years now and somebody is able to buy. I've seen women who have bought some few 
parcels of land where they are showcasing, they are planting, you know, some small grasses and just small, uh, what do you call, fruit trees, mm. where where they can um, where they can showcase at least that this has has done well. But what mm. is actually mm. lacking is what we need to do. Even though the religion, however, the religion also, if the man dies today and he has left children and women. First of all, even the children, they have categories. You have the Islamic inheritance uh, process, whereby they look at what fraction belongs to the woman, what fraction belongs to the son. You know, and the other problem is the, the issue of polygamy. You know, now it, it brings a lot of, you know, conflict because maybe the man had four wives, which the religion allows. And that brings, you know, some, some women not owning land we need mm. to showcase successful, you know, innovations, whether women-led, youth-led, or whatever, men-led. How do we mm. showcase and give a lot of attention there so that people are told not only, you know, you landing a car to idol, but if we do this and uh, try to, what do you call, uh, give the youth some space where they can do whatever they want to do, we can work, things can change. And also a, a bit of uh, the investment, what scares the investments sort of here is the insecurity because there are terror attacks that happened, that happen around here and people think it's unsafe. But areas around the river, whereby it's actually degrading because of uh, because of, of the encroachment even into the river, river alone, uh, what do you call excessive farming? River banks, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the river banks. I have a plan of introducing bamboo there for restoration and doing some sort of what you call soil and water conservation. I have to go through the community. I have to create awareness and through, you know, that those dialogues. And some of, I'm also trying to target the youth because bamboo is being included in the Tivet, uh, in the Tivet institutions whereby the youth would benefit from it as some sort of a, an, a joy, an, what do you call a job, uh, an uh, employment creating corridor mm. so that they can, use as a processing and I'm planting that one for the bamboo I have the plants for the bamboo and I also have plants for melia which is a timber species we are calling it the asal mahogany which mm -hmm. is three, 30 to 40 times better than the normal you know cypress and uh, the highland uh, species it's a timber species but how am I you know making uh, creating uh, the the floor for them I'm trying to create I've actually started a conversation with the county and the development agencies here. Mm -hmm. How do we start a, you know, a timber processing company right now, youth-led? I don't want it to be whatever managed by an older person. Mm -hmm. Let it be managed, but somebody should be helping them through the process so that now mm -hmm. they can use the post office, whereby they can carve some things. And you know, I have seen the guy I was telling you, I mentioned in the Marifa Corner project, is, has developed those projects and now how do I scale it out, out now to the county level where we when we start this because trees take time uh, by the time those but the bamboo and the melia uh, you know harvestable yeah. they can be you know they have this platform already and they have you know they have a gist and they have the technical the techniques they have uh, absorbed them and they are now fully empowered to even use them Wow. All right. Thank you so much, Amina. I want to wrap up this conversation very quickly. Diana, we start with you in terms of understanding. What does the youth require for them to be engaged constructively when it comes to adaptation projects, when it comes to mitigation projects, when it comes to land restoration projects? First of all, the youth 
need platforms where they can express themselves without any fear, first of all, that their idea and, you know, their opinions will be undermined. And then they need infrastructure, both soft and hard. Mm -hmm. And then also they need audience whereby they are, whatever they are doing is somehow, you know, they are positively criticized or value added. How do I say like somebody has this? It's like you're repairing, you, you have something, but it needs a bit of repairing and, you know, furnishing so that it can be, you know, or refurbished and put there as a perfect product for, for display and selling to the audience. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also, what does it need? It needs marketing and free uh, marketing and advertisement, whereby if you want to talk about a certain issue, be make it uh, youth-centered. Take them there. If it's, if it's something you want to talk about, bring that youth there. Let them, you know, some of them are so, you know, technical and so what do you call, uh, they're so passionate when they talk, you know, you're even convinced that you really need to invest in this, you know, and you really need to pay a lot of attention to this. Mm -hmm. And also, what, do we, what else do we do? We support them any way we can by and whenever I say these exchange programs, it doesn't necessarily need to be here. So most of them have been had here, but maybe they're not making that angle, you know, that uh, difference. Make it an international level so that the idea of somebody have, having participated, you know, having shared their ideas in, an, in a, such a huge platform would change, would change the perception of people on how they should be viewing you. Mm. Yes, and also inclusion of their of their opinions into these uh, national strategies would be really helpful, so that it can encourage more participation in this. Okay. Hmm. And Diana, what would you say? And also, like, if I would also want you to, in terms of measuring, in terms of policy, what uh, policy changes do we require? Okay, uh, Sophie, thanks. I'll go back a little bit on the finance part. Um, mm -hmm. For me, uh, in terms of uh, cash or how, how to get resources, um, I am leveraging on digital content creation where you can generate money from it. I'm sure you are aware that sometimes uh, YouTube mm -hmm. can pay you when you put your content out there because Absolutely. most of the grants available are not grants uh, for young people. You find that they need the head to have a PhD and eight years of experience and blah, blah, Blah. so mm -hmm. you might find you're not getting that but that should not stop you from doing that uh, mm -hmm. on the question of what the youth need first of all i think it's good to to create job positions which suit these people for instance uh, mm -hmm. it's ideal to have a job but you're just there you're just a face in that job your ideas are never listened or um in, in the forums or in the decision-making tables, you're not hard. It's good to curate job positions where these young people, for instance, if you work in a forestry organization where, yeah, you are hard, you, you, your inputs on technology, digital stuff can be hard. And mm -hmm. then we need to leverage in creating hubs in rural and urban centers where young people can meet. Uh, there's so many untapped ideas around young people where mm -hmm. uh, I think you have heard of Nylab, Nylab yeah. where you meet yeah. there, you create content, you share ideas and some of these things don't even require money. For instance, you just need an open house, throw some beanbag chairs and have teas and coffees and mm -hmm. other little incentives here and there and people are willing to share their knowledge to save our earth. Yeah. Fantastic. And when it comes to policy, what do you think in terms of policies, governments, because policies also contribute a lot. What do you think policy-wise needs to be done? 
Um, for instance, when you look at our land, our national land policy has uh, opened in for young people to participate. The problem is in implementing and actualizing that actually a young person and not a young person in heart or mind, a literal young person can sit there and speak out in their own form. Like, mm -hmm. Let's say we are creating, we are reviewing the land policy at maybe community level, let young people between below 30 even sit down, let them tell you your frustrations and stuff like that. Let have open sessions at local levels, at grassroots, uh, county and even regional. Mm. Yeah. And I Great. think also mm -hmm. in the curriculum, we need mm. to foster education curricula, which is more hands-on and we need to review our curricula in, in to address our current problems because uh, when you look at some of these curriculums are a bit old and they're not mm. dealing with whatever we have right now. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the view. I really would have loved to continue having this conversation with you, but time is really running out. But I just would want to actually go back to you, Diana, and start with you and your final words, please. Oh, my final words is listen to us. Uh, we may not know how to articulate or say our frustrations or our ideas properly, but be patient with the young people. Uh, don't be skeptical when someone tells you, oh, I have this app. Just listen, provide the resources that they, they have. And also uh, notice even young people have a lot of imposter syndromes because of the skepticism that has been there. Just provide a healthy, safe environment for us to nurture our talents and the skills yeah Fantastic. be patient well with us said. well said thank you so much diana amina please your final word i have a lot where do i begin <laughs> <laughs> we are as important as uh, the other key people listen to us take it from us engage us let us do this process together it's my Fantastic. final word Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so, so much, both of you. Thank you. I sincerely appreciate you coming on board and would love to actually stay in touch with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you, Amina. Let's Thank you, up. Diana. All right. Cheers to both of you. Bye-bye. Okay, and next week, make a date with me as we'll be looking deeper into sustainable pastoralism in the age of climate change. For now, do not hesitate to check out more of previous episodes on drylands and many more on our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. Remember, the restoration of the African Dryland series is a six-part series on the Global Landscape Forum, Africa Digital Conference, led by the Center for the International Forestry Research, C4, and the World Agroforestry Center, ACRAF, in collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP, the World Bank, and its charter members. I wish you a lovely week ahead. Until next week on Tuesday, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbukwa.